Thank you for listening to Faith Church Podcasts, a ministry of Faith Church of the Nazarene in Jacksonville, North Carolina. For more information about our church, please visit our website at jacksnaz.org. That's J-A-X-N-A-Z dot O-R-G. We now join our service in progress. I have in my uh, belt here a set of keys. You don't know what these keys go to. You don't know what it unlocks. Some of you, if you look carefully, you might recognize them. But the question is, if I said to you, I would give you these keys and whatever it unlocks, if you would give me everything you own, would you make the trade? Think, think about that for a minute. If I gave you these keys, you don't know what it goes to. And I would give them to you and everything that it unlocks if you would give me everything you own. Yes or no? Yes, anybody? No. Okay, we got several takers on the no. Some folks non-committal. I don't know what these keys go to, and they're not quite sure about this whole thing. All right, well, maybe I need to make another transaction for you. Uh, what if I told you that I would give you a rock? This rock is about an inch and a uh, seven-eighths, almost two inches by um, yeah, maybe half an inch. A rock. I would give you that rock in exchange for everything you owned. What about that? Is that a better deal? Any, any takers? Any takers? Come on. We got one, two. Anybody said, no, I'm not falling for that. A rock, sure. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe you want to see the rock first. Okay, I've taken a picture of the rock and I've blown it up. So it's going to be on the screen, but it's going to be bigger than actual size. Okay? Remember, it's only about two inches by like half an inch. Okay? Well, maybe I'll show it to you. There we go. All right. Who said they would trade? My wife said she would. That's kind of weird, though. I'm giving you everything I've got. She would trade it, because she already got what, we, what I've got. All right, we had a couple people that were willing to make the trade. Well, you know what? If you made the trade, chances are, unless you were Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, you made a good deal. This stone is 45 and a half carats. It's a deep blue diamond, sometimes called the Tavender Blue. More Well, its origin, they think it came out of India somewhere years ago, and at one point was sold to France's King Louis XIV. Gone through a number of owners across the years, but its most common name is the Hope Diamond. Now again, this is all an exercise in what is, because obviously I don't own this. Obviously. I'm not sure I've even seen it, although it's on display in a museum, I think in Washington, D.C. It's arguably the most famous diamond in the world. 
the, the best uh, estimate of the value that I could come up with was 200 to 250 million dollars. You see, if, if knowing I had that, if I had that, and I said to you, I will give you this rock if you will give me everything you own. Like I say, unless you were Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or somebody like that, if you didn't give up everything you had to get that, you really don't understand what I'm offering you. Now, some might say, well, all my stuff has sentimental value and it's worth more to me because of the sentimental value than any amount of money. But if you're just looking at the value, if I offered you something worth 200 to $250 million for everything you own, would you give it up? Some might say, if you're not willing to give up everything you own to get something that's worth, what, roughly at least twice as much as what you got, right? Three times as much, hundred times as much. I don't, I don't know what your net worth is. It's lots more than what I've got. That's for sure. If you're not willing to give it up for something's worth hundreds times more, you don't really understand what you're giving up. You don't understand what you're being offered. Maybe. What do you think? Some of you are still thinking about that. Hmm. Would I give up everything I own? What would I give up everything I own for? Is there anything so valuable I would give up everything I had for that thing of value? Where are we going with this? Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you're reading in the Ashes to Fire reading, you've probably already read this. If you, Especially those of you that got up at 5 in the morning just to see that thing hit the post on the, on the website, jacksonmass.org, on the blog page. If you're up at 5 a.m. to read those questions. No. I know you weren't doing that probably, but regardless, you may have already read this, but would it hurt to read it again? We'll read it again. Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. Then he, referring to Jesus, then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he, Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Or some translation reads soul, forfeit their soul. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life or soul? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So this morning we're going to uh, think about how to save your life. Uh, last week we talked about how to love life and see good days. This morning we're going to talk about how to save your life. How to save your life.
uh, based on what Jesus says, how do we save our life? How do we save our life? Well, some of you can read that little sign in the bottom right that says selfish. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you don't make life all about yourself, so you need to kind of put a not this on the word selfish. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you can't make your life all about yourself. He says, instead, we're to deny ourselves. Instead of putting ourselves first, we need to put Christ first. We shouldn't make life all about us. It shouldn't be all about what we want, what we think it's to be about. In fact, we were just talking about this in Sunday school, that if life is all about what you want, chances are you're never really going to be in harmony with the people around you because chances are most people around you aren't all focused on what you want. How many of you love to be around people who all they're focused on is what they want? Anybody? Just love to be around people who are focused on themselves. I don't see anybody raising their hand. Yeah, we, we're not really liking the people that are selfish, really. So that should be a clue to us that maybe we should take a moment and become a little bit introspective and figure out what our focus is. Jesus says, don't make life all about yourself. Deny yourself, he says. Notice, uh, Peter had an idea of what life ought to be like. Did you notice that? Peter had an idea of what life was supposed to be like when the Messiah came. He had an idea of what the Messiah was supposed to be about. Chances are, Peter's idea of what was going to happen when the Messiah came was that the Messiah was to become king of Israel, throw off the uh, oppressive regime of the Romans, and uh, set up David's kingdom anew and reign on David's throne, and uh, to restore Israel to its former glory and power. And Rome couldn't tell them what to do anymore. Rome couldn't come in and collect taxes from them anymore. That they would be the nation of Israel, independent, powerful yet again. And Jesus comes to his disciples and says, this Jesus, whom they believed to be the Messiah, whom they believed would take over Rome and throw, throw the, uh, the centurions out of Israel, Jesus says, oh, by the way, in a few days, I'm going to be arrested, rejected, tortured, beaten, crucified, killed, buried. And Peter goes quickly back to his manual on how the Messiah is supposed to do all this in his mind, this plan that he's got, you know, his five-year plan for Messiah takeover of Israel that he had written in his mind, pages through this plan and says, Jesus, that timeline is not in here anywhere. The Messiah dying is not in the plan, Jesus. What are you talking about? This is not right. This is the plan, Jesus. Get with the plan. You're supposed to kick the Romans out and take over and set up the kingdom of, of David again. And you're supposed to reign on the throne. And by the way, I'm supposed to be prime minister. Secretary of State. Whatever openings you got there in the cabinet level, Jesus, I'm, I'm there for you. And Jesus says, no, you don't have in mind the things of God. Your plan is all about you, about the things that people want. It's not about what God wants. 
Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Set aside what selfish plans you have. Say instead, God, what are you about? What do you want? It's not about me. It's not about my selfish needs and wants and desires. It's instead to say, I am not my own. I've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Christ, who died on the cross, that our sins could be forgiven. What does he want? I've got to deny myself. My life can't be all about myself anymore. My ideas of what God's supposed to do with my life aren't really what's important to God. You know, frankly, I wish that my ideas of what God should be doing in my life were top priority on God's list, but chances are it's not. I'm sure it's not. Why? Because my plan is not that great. Frankly. God's plan is a whole, whole lot better than mine. So why should I waste my life focusing on what I think ought to happen instead of saying, Lord, what do you want? Just show me the next step in your plan and I'll do it. Because that's going to turn out a whole lot better than if my life is all focused about myself. Because if our life is all about selfishness, the end result will be loss. Jesus says if if you're all about saving yourself and your plans, your purposes, you're going to lose it. Right? If your plan is all about you, your plan is going to come to nothing in the end. Because the only plan that's going to survive the day of the Lord, the only plan that's going to survive into eternity will be God's plan. Right? So we need to be about his plan. And so the Lord is challenging Peter. He's challenging me. He's challenging you. Whose plan are you following? Is it your life all about you? Or is it all about God? Sometimes we make life all about the physical. About the physical stuff. Whether it's wealth or things or positions or power. Stuff that happens here on earth. Jesus is challenging Peter's mind to say, you know, maybe life isn't all about who's in charge. Maybe life isn't all about the government and who's in charge. Maybe just maybe God's plan can work no matter who's on the throne, no matter who's in charge in Rome or Washington or wherever. This microphone buzzing a little bit. Let me just shut this one off and hand, hand over. We'll see if this see if this microphone works a little better. Thank you. So life is not all about what happens in this life, what happens in the physical. It's not all about what we own, what we have, what we don't have. Jesus challenges Peter to think maybe there's something else going on on the spiritual level that you're even missing. Anybody ever read the Frank Peretti books, This Present Darkness? Uh, there's another one as well, Piercing the, Piercing the Darkness, I think it is. Uh, some might question some of the theology in the books, but I'm not going to argue about it. The, the point that I'm trying to make here is that it gives a picture. It's kind of neat the way he writes one chapter and talks about what's going on with these people in this town and church and so forth. The next chapter he's talking about what the angels are doing, what the demons are doing, and what God is all about. And you begin to see that there's more than one way to look at situations from the physical or from the spiritual perspective. And if nothing else, it challenges, challenges you to realize that God is at work when all we see is the physical, that doesn't mean God's not working. 
When all we see is the physical, just be aware there's also a spiritual battle going on there. And Peter, in saying God is wanting to do something on the physical, he's wanting to take over the world, God says, yeah, but not the way you think. There's a spiritual battle going on here. And Peter doesn't even see it. And Jesus is challenging us to not make our life all about ourselves, not about focusing on the present. To remember there's a future to plan for, there's an eternity to live for. Life is not all about ourselves, it's about God, it's about His purpose. It's not just about the here and now, it's also about the hereafter. It's not just about the physical, there's also a spiritual reality that we are called to deal with. So the question, how to save your life, first suggestion that Jesus makes, don't make life all about yourself. So if it's not all about you, what is it to be about? Jesus called his disciples to leave their nets, leave their fishing boats and follow him. He is calling them to make life all about Christ. He says, you're to deny yourself and follow him. Instead of making your life all about your pursuits, the pursuit of what you want, the pursuit of what you want to get, he says, how about pursuing what God wants? I love Paul's words that he says, you know, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Now Christ lives in me. He's basically saying my life is now about Christ. It's not about me anymore. I'm dead to myself. I'm living to Christ. I'm living for him. I'm making my life about him, not about these other things. Uh, verse 33, he says, we're to set our minds on divine things, not human things. That's the challenge he gives to, uh, to Peter. Set your mind on divine things. What does that mean? Perhaps we'll spend the rest of our life trying to figure out what that means. To set our mind on heavenly things, to set our minds on things above, Paul writes in several places in his epistles. Are we focusing on Jesus and what he wants, what he did, what he said, and how we can follow him? Focusing on Jesus and what he wants you to do to serve your neighbor, your friend. Following Jesus' example and loving God, the Father, with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Following Jesus' example and loving your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, is, it, is it possible that too many of us are distracted by other things? Instead of following Jesus, we're following something else, someone else, something else. The latest fad, the latest thing going on, sometimes that happens. We get distracted. So maybe today it's a reminder to me and maybe to you to not become distracted by things that in eternity aren't really going to matter. It won't matter. The question is, what is your life about? Do you know that you can kind of set the direction of your life and say, this is kind of what my life's going to be about? Kind of like the sailor who sets their sails they determine the set of their sails by the winds and the waves and the currents. And they say, my heading needs to be this direction. So in order to head that direction, given what's going on in the world, what's going on around me, I have to set my sails so that this is the direction the winds and the waves and the currents are going to take me. What's the prevailing direction of your life? If somebody stepped back and looked at your life and your actions and attitudes and activities 
Where would they say you're headed? What would they say is important to you? The set of your sails, the prevailing direction that you're headed is going to determine your destination. Right? Generally speaking, where you're headed right now is where you're going to end up unless you make a change. Now for Christians, folks that are trying to do the best to follow Christ, that's an encouraging message and I want you to be encouraged. If you're trying your best to follow Christ, awesome. You're going to be closer to him tomorrow than you are today. You're going to be closer to him next year than you are today. So that raises the question, are you closer to him today than you were last year? Or are you farther away? Maybe that's a good, good question to determine whether you're headed in the right direction or not. Has the prevailing direction of your life in the last year brought you closer to Christ or farther away? That should tell you whether you need to change your direction from here forward. Does that make sense? I'm asking myself the question. Am I closer today to Jesus than I was last year? If not, maybe I need to change, fine-tune my direction, my focus, my attitude, making my life more about Him and less about me. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your minds on things that are above. What preoccupies your thoughts? I know somebody, if you're honest, they'll say worry. That happens to me occasionally. <gasps> Pastor Bill? Tempted to work sometimes, yeah. I have. It's a work to stay focused on things above. Do you have to work at it too? How's that going? Make your life about Christ, not about yourself, not about what the world says is important, but what Christ says is important. How to save your life? Don't make it all about yourself. Make your life all about Christ. How to save your life? Be willing to sacrifice to serve others. If you want to save your life, you might want to find a way to serve others. Jesus says, if you want to follow him, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Take up your cross. Now, you know, most of us could sort of deal with deny yourself, some of the time anyway, and follow Christ most of the time anyway but then Jesus had to say take up your cross that's kind of uncomfortable Jesus that cross has probably got splinters in it and it's probably heavy and my shoulder hurts just thinking about that oh and there's the crucifixion thing that comes with it it's not just carrying it because when you're carrying your cross that means you're going to the crucifixion Usually the ones that carried the cross were the ones that were going to be put on it. Jesus is saying, you've got to be willing. Is he saying that? You've got to be willing to die to serve others? He can't mean that, surely. That would mean I would have to change the way I do my life. 
I, I couldn't just say, well, Lord, I'll deny myself most of the time and some of the time and I'll follow you. But it would have to be saying, Lord, my life is not mine anymore. I can't choose. It's not about me choosing. It's about choosing you and then you choosing for me. It's me laying my life down. It's not about my goals and my purposes. It's about yours. It's about surrendering myself on the cross as you did. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. So Lord, whatever you want, I'm dead now. My life is only life because you have given me life. Because you have given me life. It's all about you now. You raised me from the dead. If, if I'm living, it's only because you have given me life. You've raised me to life. Because you've given me life, my life is yours. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want and what you want to do in and through me. Jesus says, take up your cross. It implies there's something we're called to do. And it involves laying down our life to serve others. Why did Jesus go to the cross? I think it's because he loved his father, first of all. And his father loved you. Because Jesus loved the father, he was willing to lay down his life for you. I think it's because of his love for the father, but also because of his love for you. I think first and foremost, it's because he loved God, the father. And the father loved you. So Jesus pleased the father to save you. And he loved you enough, he would have died for you. Someone said, if you were the only one. Some of you are saying, he wouldn't have died for me because, you know, yes, he would have. He would have died for you. Jesus was willing to undergo great suffering and rejection. And he knew it going in. That's the amazing thing. He didn't just blunder into this path that ended up at his crucifixion that he didn't know that was coming. If I had known that was coming, I, I would have made another choice back there. No, he, he knew because the scripture says that he was a, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world that says he knew what was coming before it happened. Before the world was founded, Jesus knew what was going to happen if we fell away, if we fell into sin. He was already committed to coming to save us. He was willing to sacrifice himself to serve others. The picture is a, an art, artist's rendition of Christ hanging on the cross. The colors imply to me passion, suffering, love. I don't know if you see that in there, but that's what I see. Jesus was unwilling to undergo suffering, pain, rejection, even though he knew what it was going to lead to. Do you know that following Christ may mean persecution and difficulty? Yeah. Uh, Paul says it to Timothy. Get ready for it. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you'll be persecuted. It's not going to be easy. Uh, some folks only want to follow Christ if uh, he'll make them healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yeah. 
prosperity gospel preachers have a great following because they want the good news that follow Jesus, you'll get everything you ever wanted. And a Beamer or Mercedes to go with it. Ah, it's not in the Bible. They didn't, in case you're wondering, they hadn't even invented those things when the Bible was written. Just, just so you know. And Jesus says, if you want to save your life, give up your life for me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's a great recruiting pitch. Not really. Unless you imagine and remember the end. You end up saving your life. Any other path leads to losing your life. The only way to save your life is to give it away. Jesus, a song said, his love was his life and he gave it away. Are you giving away your life to serve others? If you want to save your life, you need to be willing to sacrifice to serve others. That's what Jesus did. He sacrificed his life to serve you. And he calls us to live just like him. What does it mean for you to serve others, to give up yourself and to serve others? They're going to go serve others right now. They're going to work. Thanks for being here, guys. You know, I wish some folks sometimes when I say, we need to do this, they would actually get up and go do it. Uh, one time I was in a, actually the church we were in in South Carolina. One time the, uh, there was a young man, very uh, passionate young Christian. Uh, he just was like, there's so many people out there in our community that just are ignoring God and they need to be in church. I'm going to go get them. So he just walks down out of the choir loft, out the door, goes down the street, asking people to come to church. We're having church right now, just down here in the neighborhood. Come, come to church. And later he came back and said, you know, I was surprised that there were a lot of people who said, oh, I go to church. It was 11.15 on Sunday morning. Oh, I go to church. They weren't in church. But, oh, I go to church. But, you know, that is amazing. We just got up and went and did what he felt like God was telling him to do. What an amazing thing. Maybe that happens here sometimes. Sometimes. I know it does. How to save your life. Be willing to sacrifice to serve others. I know many of you are already doing that. I'm preaching to the choir in a lot of ways today. But I'm preaching to myself as well. Verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. In verses 34 and 35. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake for the gospel will save it. Jesus says, you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. Be willing to give your life to Christ and give up your life for Christ. Willing to die so that Christ could save others. What happens if you're willing to literally give up your life that others might be saved? Jesus implies here that then we will gain resurrection. Now, what he's telling us to do is to uh, delay gratification. Instead of having your life now, he's saying have it later. You give up your life now so you can have life, real life, eternal life, later. 
that kind of implies that, by the way, this life we're living right now is, is not the real life you were meant to live. This is only a temporary. The real life is the eternal life that's coming. Yes, this is life, and there's a reality about this life, but it's, it's not the full thing that God has planned for us. There's a, another life that's coming. What he's calling us to do re, re, requires a, a level of maturity to accept. He's saying, I want you to lose your life now so you can gain it later. Toddlers aren't willing to do that. They want what they want, and they want it right now. Right? I want what I want, and I want it right now. That's, that's the toddler mentality. And unfortunately, too many of us never give that up. Jesus is calling us to do that, to grow up and say, life is not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants, and I can give up now to gain later. He calls us to have a different set of values. Instead of focusing on the here and the now, the physical, the, the pleasure, the gratification, the what we want now, he's saying, focus on eternal values, something that will last forever. Not just something that's good for now, but will be gone. Rather something that may be hard now, but it brings joy forever. Jesus is saying his physical life is not as important as the eternal life that is to come. Some of you remember the uh, missionary to uh, Latin America who gave his life to reach unreached tribes of Indians in the Amazon. A man by the name of Jim Elliott was, uh, uh, he and Nate Saint and a few others um, devised a way to fly an airplane into inaccessible areas of the jungle. Uh, they developed innovative ways of trying to communicate with them. Flying a small plane in a tight circle they found they could let out a, like a bag in a, on a rope and uh, it would drop to the ground in the middle and it was like they would drop this out the window on a rope and they could fly around the, around the, the bucket on the rope and the, they could drop it into a central location and fly around it and drop things down to the people on the ground and bring things back up. They would give them gifts to uh, uh, get them, you know, saying, we're friendly, we want to meet you. And they eventually landed their plane on, uh, uh, along a creek bank, on the, the sandy beach along a creek bank to make contact with the Indians. And uh, the Indians were headhunters, uh, very aggressive, and ended up killing number of those missionaries. Uh, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, her husband killed by the natives, devoted her life to go reach the people that killed her husband. She was willing to lay down her life as well, if need be, in order to tell these tribes of people unreached by the gospel that Jesus died to save them. Interestingly enough, uh, Elizabeth Elliot went back and published some of her husband's writings after his death. And one of the quotes that has uh, 
impacted a lot of us over the years. Jim Elliott wrote sometime before his death, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He gave up his life, which he was going to lose anyway, somehow. He would have been dead by now anyway, most likely, because he was older, older gentleman by now, but he died young. He would have died eventually, but in laying down his life, he's gained an eternal reward because he gave his life for the sake of Christ. And his death was not in vain. There are probably hundreds, dare say perhaps thousands of people that have read his writings, that have heard his story, that have seen the film Through Gates of Splendor, which depicted his life. The Edge of the Spear, or something called The Spear, it was a movie a few years back that was about this story as well. Thousands of people have been impacted by his life example. A seed planted, hundreds, even thousands of seeds harvested. The men who killed Jim Elliot were brought to Christ by his grieving widow. Wow, what a story. You see, if you lose your life for Christ, if you lose your life for Christ, you really haven't lost anything, have you? Jesus says, if you lose your life for me, you gain life. Stuff of life is not as important as our soul. And Jesus says, you have a choice as to how you're going to live your life. You have a choice as to what's important to you about life. Is life going to be about Jesus or about yourself? Frankly, that's usually about the only options that people take. Life is either going to be about you and what you want, or it's going to be about Jesus. Chances are it's one or the other. I have to ask myself again, is my life about me or is it about Jesus? You have to ask yourself the question, is your life about you or is it about Jesus? Really, that's, that's the choice. And Jesus says, if you're choosing you, in essence, you're saying you're ashamed of making your life about me. And Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you on the day that I return. I don't know about you, I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. What is your life about? Your life's going to be saved or lost, one of the two. How to save it. Don't make your life all about you. Instead, make your life all about Christ. Make your life about serving others, even if it means sacrifice. And in essence, be willing to lay down your life or to lose your life for Christ. So the question is, will you save your life by giving it for Christ? Yes or no? Will you bow your heads and pray with me today? Dear Father, thank you for loving us. Loving us even to the point of your willingness to offer your most precious treasure, your only son, for our redemption. Thank you, Jesus, that you love the Father enough to obey, 
to sacrifice yourself, the prerogatives, and the power of divinity to take on human flesh and become one of us, to live a life victorious over sin, that you might be that perfect sacrifice and lay down your life for ours, that the penalty of our sin could be paid by your precious blood. You were willing to lose your life that we might be found. Lord, your example then challenges us to be willing to do the same, to lay down our lives for you in return. Because you died for us, our life is not about us anymore. It's not our own. We've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And so our life is all about you. It's about what you want, not what we want. It's about what you say is best, not what we think in our own human, feeble wisdom think is best. So Lord, how do we know what you want? We've got to ask you. We've got to look in your word. We've got to seek you so we can follow you. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, I want to spend more time in your word asking you to show me you in deeper ways, in clearer ways that I might know you. Lord Jesus, would you do your work in us this day? Would you would make us more like you. Lord, I thank you for this crowd of folks here today that Lord, from where I stand, my observation is most of them, I would say, if not all of them, have no reason to think any of them are not trying to follow you. That's a blessing. But Lord, there's so many people in our world that don't know what Jesus is all about. They've never seen Jesus' love in action, and we are called to show them. Lord, you've called us to be willing to lay down our lives, our preferences, our desires to love others as you have loved us. To be willing to sacrifice our own life, to be willing to go to the cross to show them your love. Lord, help us know how to do that. Give us courage to be able to step forward and love others with your kind of love. We need your help to do that. Lord, we know that we can't do it in and of ourselves. So Father, would you challenge us? Lord Jesus, you are the hope of the world of greater value than the hope diamond. Lord Jesus, may we give up all the puny we have to receive the hope that you offer. The hope of eternal life, the hope of salvation, the hope of eternal life spent with you. You are our hope today. And we give up everything else to find hope in you. We say yes to you. Yes, Lord, yes. Would you sing that chorus with us as we close? I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Stand and sing that again. For I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me 
With my whole heart I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Go forth and live life for Christ. Amen.